0: Morning, everyone. Thankful that we can worship the Lord together, would you join me as we continue as we pray? Oh, living God, would you help us as is read and preached that we may truly understand, and in understanding we may believe, and in believing. We may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Scripture reading today, uh, we continue from last week from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're reading verses 11 through 21. Again, that's John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn to the Pew Bible underneath the seat and turn to page 843. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the Word of the Lord. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. For I have other sheep, This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and it's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So last week I spoke about uh, continue in a way the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the door or I am the sheep gate. And the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, like the I am, like the title itself, it doesn't focus on what other people said about him or thought of him. It speaks of what Savior Himself, how he understands himself as God himself. When you go back to Exodus chapter 3, as Moses is in front of God in the burning bush, the divine name that the Lord discloses to Moses, I am who I am, and that same name is translated in Greek, and this is what we see in the gospel account here. There are seven I am's, And way back, we went through, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and last week, I am the door, or I am the sheep gate. And today, we come to the fourth I am statements of Jesus, I am the good shepherd. Now, the passage we read... um, stands from the chapter 10, verses 1-21, and we went through the first 10 verses last week, but to recap real quick, chapter 10 comes in the context of right after chapter 9, when Jesus heals a blind man. This blind man lived all his life unable to see, and on a Sabbath, he restores this man. And unfortunately, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, instead of praising God and recognizing the miracle that Jesus performed, What do they do? They perceive this as a violation of the law of Sabbath. They shun shun this man and excommunicate him from the synagogue so he can no longer worship with the people of God as he defends Jesus, as he worships Jesus at the end. And the religious leaders at the end are seen as really bad shepherds. Shepherds who refuse to recognize Jesus, refused to lead the people to the true king of kings and serve their own selfish way. And thus, last week, these people, these bad shepherds, were identified as thieves and robbers. They had nothing good in their hearts. And last week, we learned that Jesus, when he saw himself and talked to his people, I am the door of the sheepfold. He was saying that he's the only exclusive gateway to eternal life to the Father. Sure, these Pharisees were supposed to shelter, care, and guide and teach, but they didn't. And in contrast, Jesus shows himself as the good shepherd, true shepherd, who does indeed care, guide, teach, ultimately to lay down his life as the long-awaited shepherd king that scripture has spoken of. <clears throat> when we look at verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, we see the adjective um, good. And there, in the New Testament, there are two words that are used to, um, for the word good. One word means kind of moral goodness, as you might think a good person. The other one describes, and that's the word used here when it's used to describe the good shepherd, is one that denotes beauty and excellence, not moral goodness. And so in the context, you can understand that this good shepherd means more like a beautiful, excellent shepherd. But again, you take a step back and all the words that Jesus uses to describe himself is often in this kind of a, contrast. He said he's a true bread, meaning there are false, fake bread. He's a true vine. So he's pointing himself as a genuine, true, not artificial or fake. So when Jesus is saying he is the good shepherd, we can understand him as good, excellent, genuine, true shepherd that he is. Throughout this short passage Four times we see Jesus saying he lays down his life for the sheep. We see in verse 11 that we just read. We'll see it again in verse 15 when he says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, what does he say? I lay down my life for the sheep. And again in verse 17 and 18, he lays down his life for the sheep. This laying down is his way of purchasing the sheep, his sheep. Now later on in John 13, Jesus used the same language of laying down. John 13, right before Last Supper, he gets ready to take the outer garment. He takes takes on the form of a servant. He washes the disciples' feet. And he does this by laying down his outer garment. It's a symbolic of what he's gonna do with his life. He's gonna lay down his life, he lays down his garment as he gets ready to serve. And ultimately at the end, he serves to the point of death, his laying down leads to, necessitates the shedding of his blood to redeem and purchase the sheep that the Father has given him. Now, unlike last week where the contrast was between, you know, the shepherd, although it wasn't explicitly stated, shepherd versus thieves and robbers, here the contrast is between the good shepherd and hired hands. A higher hand has self-interest versus a noble shepherd who's usually the owner deep, deep, sacrificial love for what belongs to him. And a good shepherd is willing and eventually lays down his life for his sheep. Now, in a typical... You know, biblical time, a shepherd wouldn't usually intend to, you know, lay down his life. uh, Because if you do, then the rest of the flock will be exposed. Um, But it's willing to go all the way to protect his sheep. And beyond going beyond the metaphor, it's not just merely about willing to risk. Here, Jesus says he lays it down. He chooses to lay it down. It's not an accident. He chooses to lay down his life. And that's what qualifies him to be a good shepherd. One theologian was asked what he thought was the most important word in the Bible. And he picked one preposition for. The Greek word that's translated here as for, um, for the sheep. It suggests, especially in the book of John, a sacrificial context. The death of Jesus for the sheep. And later on for Peter, as well as a man who is prepared to die for his friend. Jesus' death is for the sheep, instead of, as a substitute for. In Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, This preposition, I think, is captured. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what this means? This means that we are sinners, Sinners who deserve to die, spiritually and physically. But Christ willingly chose to die. And he died in our place, taking our punishment that we might be set free from sin and the penalty so that we may worship God and serve him. Christian salvation justification, as last week we went through what is justification in our Westminster larger catechism, it's not by what we do, not by what we do for ourselves or even for God, but it's by what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. That's why it's good news, news of something that's been done, an event that's complete and it's being reported. You know, some people consider the cross, Christ crucified, either an embarrassment or something that, you know, people won't feel comfortable talking about sin. So what, they, what do they do? They choose to speak of something else. But we're reminded again and again through scriptures that this distinctive central focus of Christ crucified is absolutely important, crucial. You can't not talk about sin. You can't not talk about substitution death, punishment, holiness, and grace of God. Because this is why Christ came. When we continue in verses 12 through 13, we see the entrance of the hired hand metaphor. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming, and what do they do? Leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them away scatters them he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep so jesus is not comparing himself con- contrasting with thieves and robbers but are hiling. Um, so if you are a uh, a farmer you own a lot of sheep sometimes life gets busy sometimes our lives get busy and we pay someone else to do the work and they'll hire a, um, someone to take care of the sheep and the sheep won't get the same tender to 11 care of the owner. Back, by the way, back in the Old Testament time, or just time in general, the youngest um, son in the family usually, or child in the family usually takes care of the sheep um, at, at, as the bottom of the totem pole. Now, uh, when the master of the flock comes and there's a threat of wolves or bear, or whatever, he'll stand in the gap, use the rod that he has to fight against the attack because he cares for his sheep. and if necessary, lays down his life. But not the hireling. Because what? They're working for a fair wage and nothing more. Now, thieves and robbers are wicked people. They're taking what doesn't belong to them. Hire hand are not wicked people. They're simply contracted people who are committed to getting a fair wage for doing a fair day's work. Some of us here, some of you guys, you own your own small business and you know what it's like, the difference you notice between being the owner, making sure everything works, versus people you hire. Many of us, we work for companies, big or small, and there's a difference between the person who founded the company versus you coming in as an employee. The owner cares far more and is willing to go as far as possible so that the business succeeds. The shepherd who owns a sheep loves and cares for their livelihood because it's also his livelihood and is willing to go as far as possible so that they will continue. When we look at in verse 14 and 15, Jesus repeats, I am the good shepherd. And he brings in something pretty unique in this intimacy language between the shepherd and the sheep. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but he says, I know my own and my own know me, just as Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This theme of mutual knowledge between the shepherd and the sheep is compared to the intimacy and the knowledge between God the Father and God the Son. There's nothing deeper in the knowledge or relationship or intimacy that you can imagine that you can ever compare anything to but between the father and the son. It's even more intimate than relationship between man and a wife. Because an omniscient, eternal father and his knowledge and relationship with omniscient, eternal son... cannot be passed by anything else in human relationship. No shared history can go as far or contain the joy and the shared intimacy between the eternal son and eternal father. And this is the kind of intimacy that we are, saying, we are told gets lit parallel between the shepherd, the good shepherd, and his sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep, the good and the bad. I don't know if you guys ever watched any YouTube videos on sheep. I was doing some research, and I found that there's this sheep position called a cast sheep. When a sheep gets pregnant, oftentimes the top of her body will get heavy and will tip over. And will fall. And like a turtle that's flipped, they won't be able to get up, unless a shepherd will come and roll them over. If you don't find them soon and roll them over, believe it or not, they will die, because they can't pass gas when they're flipped, and they will die of the, the build-up of the gas. That's how helpless sheep can be. And not only that, they're so helpless that even when there's like good food and bad poisonous food to eat, sheep would not be able to distinguish and eat what's poisonous or just not beneficial. If a predator comes and attacks, instead of bleeding, they'll just stand there. And a shepherd would have to come to fend them off. A sheep can be provided with the perfect pasture, everything they need. But if that sheep finds a tiny little opening that he can like, squeeze through, he'll wiggle through and wander away from this ample provision to something that's not good for them, that is potentially dangerous, and get in trouble. I am like that and you are like that. And Jesus knows that we are sinful and thus that we sin. And how we're prone to wander away from the Lord God who loves us and yet he knowingly laid down his life for us. There is this beautiful comfort of being known by the shepherd, the good shepherd. Not a bad shepherd, but a good shepherd in Jesus Christ. Deep down, I think all of us, we long to be known and to know others. Friends, we know each other. Parents, we know our children and children, their parents. And recent wed and many seasoned wed people here husband and wife, we know each other however, despite all that there's a part that we still sometimes withhold amongst friends sometimes we wonder, hey, I wonder if he or she will still be my friend if they know this about me or if you're getting ready to get married I wonder if he or she will still marry me if they knew about these things about my past or even present so they will withhold. There's a fear of truly being known and wondering whether we will still be accepted, whether we, they will still be liked or loved. And the comfort of the shepherd, the good shepherd knowing us is that he knows all of that. There's nothing new. This is a omniscient shepherd who knows all things, so they don't, he doesn't have to worry about something coming up to startle him. That might affect Diminish his love for his own sheep. No surprises for this omniscient good shepherd. In verse sixteen, as we verse sixteen as we continue, Jesus says, "I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one sheep." Jesus speaks of other sheep. That's us. Those who are not of the kingdom of Israel, the Jews. The, it's referring to the Gentiles. He spoke back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, when he spoke of the sheep pen representing essentially Judaism. And those outside, that's us, Gentiles. Salvation, yes is from the Jews and must first be announced to the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. And Jesus here speaks of one flock under his care as one shepherd. And this true unity is speaking of that goes beyond racial, cultural, or societal preferences. When Jesus says, I must bring them also, He's not speaking in the way we would speak, because we, we might say, I must do something, and oftentimes we don't do it. This is a special word in the gospel. When Jesus says, I must, this is um, often categorized as a divine necessity, and it speaks of something that's ordained by God that has to happen previously in John chapter 3, as Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, he speaks of himself, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. It's speaking of the necessity of his upcoming death, that he has to die. And the famous Luke 19, when Zacchaeus is speaking, well, he's, he's looking out for Jesus, Jesus calls Zacchaeus down, Zacchaeus, come down immediately, and what else does he say? I must stay at your house. Again, this is a divine necessity. God has ordained that I stay at your house, and it's going to happen. Zacchaeus comes down, welcomes Jesus to his home, and he dines with them. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this child of Abraham. Jesus is saying he has other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, and that he must, because what? It's divinely necessary that he bring them also. And when Jesus says, must, it happens. And those that are his own, when they hear his voice, when they hear the gospel preached, they respond with faith. And this is why gospel proclamation is at the heart of Christian ministry. Apostle Paul says this over and over again, that ministry of preaching and witnessing of the gospel of Christ is what, at the crux of what he does. When people say, preach the gospel and use words when necessary, they're not speaking biblically. Because when Bible speaks of preaching the gospel, it goes to the gospel. you got to speak of God You got to speak of his holiness. You got to speak about sin. You got to speak about what Jesus does in our stead. That he dies for you and me so that we don't have to bear the guilt and the consequence of sin and death. And he sets us free so that we can worship him and live for him and serve him. And so all of this leads so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Christian unity isn't something that you and I work hard to achieve. It's something that Christ has achieved. Yes, Christianity today, we don't see a single visible structure or hierarchy, but Jesus doesn't say that there will only be one sheepfold. He says one flock under one shepherd. And remember, they are sheepfolds or pens here and there and we are of the different that the lord is calling inviting to follow him when we continue with verses 17 and 18 uh, we see jesus saying for this reason the father loves me because i lay down my life that i might take it up again now it's not that father withholds his love for the son until son agrees to give up his life On the cross. No, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked uh, with this obedience of Son to the Father, which ultimately culminates in his holy loving obedience at the cross. It's not forced. Jesus laying down his life. It's not an accident and it's not a tragedy. Now some of us might think, if you love history, death of Alexander the Great might be a tragedy. Historically, living in US, death of JFK uh, was a tragedy. MLK, it's tragedy. But those are tragedies and accidents that they themselves never intended. But the laying down of Jesus' life is no accident. It's been planned in eternity between God the Father and God the Son. And Peter spoke of this in Acts 2. This man, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. In Matthew 1, angel, what does the angel tell Joseph? You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people From their sins. This has always been a conscious, deliberate plan and move from God. You read any of the Gospels, like any movie you might see, it's setting you up for the cross. This is the very reason why He came for His cross. He came and died voluntarily for our salvation. Christ devoted His whole life on earth for this. On the night of Jesus' arrest, one of his disciples, you might guess who, was a bit violent. And Jesus said, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Jesus had every means and access and resources to stop his impending death. He could have prayed to the Father and just as the Lord God sent to Elijah in the Old Testament myriads of angels he could have done the same. But the Father gave the cup for the son to drink. The cross was the Father's command and son long to obey and fulfill what was planned. People in history, they were wicked. And in their freedom, they sinned, schemed, and executed evil plan of Jesus' death. But you know what? Pilate ultimately had no power over Jesus. Caiaphas had no power. Annas didn't have any power. And Roman emperor had no power over him. Beside what was given To them by God Himself. Jesus laid down His life for His sheep out of His choice, freedom to save them from the judgment of God. None of the things that these people in history have done would ever have happened without Jesus' consent. And when you come to verse 18, Jesus makes it clear that this isn't damage control, He willingly gave because it's been planned in eternity it's been prophesied in the scriptures as we have learned and he fulfilled it through his life death and resurrection his sacrificial death was not an end in itself and his resurrection wasn't just an afterthought his death and resurrection was spoken of prophesied jesus told his disciples And the resurrection was very much in view. He died in order to rise, and rising to ascend and be glorified. And as he ascends and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, pours out his spirit so that others may live an abundant life. When Jesus gave this teaching, guess what happened? The crowd was divided between those who believed and those who didn't. There was a division because there were those who clearly did not belong to the sheep pen. They didn't belong to the good shepherd. They didn't recognize his voice. They didn't hear him call them by name. They didn't follow Jesus because they didn't belong to him. And then so they considered what Jesus had done to be of demonic influence. On the flip side, there were those who recognized, saying that no demonic power would ever heal a sick man and make him see. Sure, demons steal, kill, and destroy. These were the ones that were Jesus' sheep. They heard their names called by name, and they followed because the Father had given them to him. A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Eugene, as he was going through the book of First Samuel, went through the famous passage of David and Goliath, and David, being the youngest, gets the job of being the shepherd boy in his family, the bottom of the totem pole person that does that usually. And he, as we remember, he comes to the army of Israel as they are trembling before Goliath and the Philistines. And what does David do? He offers himself, and he tells the king, King Saul, that he, as a shepherd, would fight against lions and bears to protect his sheep. And David eventually comes to be emerging as the shepherd king over God's people. And this great shepherd king of Israel, from his lineage, the prophecy speaks that a Messiah would come. Isaiah spoke and foretold, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus, the I am, The Lord God, who was, is, and is to come, knew he was a fulfillment of this shepherd king that was spoken of, who would come to lay down his life. We're familiar with Psalm 23 that David wrote as a shepherd. And he speaks of walking through the valley of shadow of death in certain time of life. And he did many times. But he also knew that God was with him. And he speaks of the shepherd's rod and staff that, comforted, that comforts the sheep, guiding and protecting. And as a shepherd, he knows clearly whenever he used that to fend off the animals. But we know that as Jesus says he is the good shepherd, he's the one who filled fulfill this psalm and the words of scriptures as a shepherd of our soul, protecting us all the way by laying down his life to save us from the consequence of sin and death. You know, scripture is pretty awesome in that it speaks of the good shepherd as we read here, but also speaks of the great shepherd and the chief shepherd In John 10 that we read, the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for sheep. The emphasis on the voluntary, vicarious death of the shepherd when he lays down. In Hebrews 13, 20, Jesus is called the great shepherd. And the emphasis here is on Christ's resurrection and his ability to work through his purpose through his sheep. And it reads, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And finally, in 1 Peter 5, 4, we see the chief shepherd stressing his second coming, his return, parousia, And the way he's going to reward those who have served him. And says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the shepherd that calls us by name. The good shepherd, Christ who died for the sheep. The great shepherd who rose again from the dead. And the chief shepherd who will return to judge the living and the dead. Brothers and sisters, the good shepherd is calling. Today, would you respond by listening to his voice and follow him? It is only through the true shepherd king that he will lead you to the promised land, the eternal kingdom of heaven. And no gate can get you there, and no teacher or shepherd besides the good shepherd can get us there. Let us pray. Gracious God, as as we've been in the past two weeks going through the, the I Am statements of Jesus, we are reminded that you are God, Jesus. And there's no way that we can go to the Father except through you, as we learned last week, And as we learn today, you are truly the good shepherd who came to lay down your life so that your sheep may have full life. Lord, there are those of us here who've been following and have gone wayward, as sheep often do. Bring us back. There are those of us who've been following faithfully grant us the grace to keep trusting your voice, coming to your word, rejoicing in the Christ who was crucified and raised again. And for those of us who have not heeded your voice, God, I believe that you are calling. Would you open those of us here who have not trusted you as Savior and Lord and work in their hearts so that they would follow you and in following you, find true, eternal life. Let's continue in prayer as we, at this moment.